Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya demigods who have highest karma far exceeding practically anyone on this earth. In order to have the post of one of the demigods one must perform heaps and heaps of extremely pious activities. Perform great, great sacrifices in the service of the Lord. Then one is elevated to this very special and rare position of being one of the superintendents of the universal affairs directly under Lord Brahma, Lord Indra. <clears throat> and yet, we see even in the lives of the most pious, the most strong, the most affluent of all living beings within the universe, still, there are so many impediments to our happiness and our peace. It goes to show that happiness through the body and the senses can never satisfy one. Whatever arrangements you make, whoever you are, such a great illusion. In this world, people are thinking, if I can become very wealthy, I will be happy. But compared to such devatas as Soma, Brihaspati, even a person who conquers all the wealth on earth is insignificant. Because after all, this is a middle planet. The demigods are living on planets that are far larger and they are heavenly planets with far superior wealth and facility for sense enjoyment. As far as influence, how much influence can you get on this earth planet? Influence over a family or a small society or a caste or a nation or even in the world. But these devatas, they have tremendous influence where they are literally managing the essential necessary functions for all beings in the universe to survive. Soma, the moon god, is in charge of all the vegetation in this universe. Without his benediction, everyone will die. Such influence, such power of control. So what man is aspiring for in the pursuit of thinking, if I attain it, I will be happy, I will be peaceful. It's such an illusion. 
even if you come to the level of Brihaspati or Soma, the nature of material existence is that reversals can come at any time which will bring great distress. Here, both Brihaspati and Soma are too much suffering due to material attachment. Brihaspati, who is married strictly according to all religious principles, who accepted a wife just according to superior authorities' blessings, he could not control her. She became an unchaste woman, and there is nothing possibly more smashing and crushing to the ego of a man and when a man who is attached to a woman likes somebody else better. This is such a blow to the ego. In fact, usually atrocious murderers are due to this reason alone. When you so-called love someone or attached to someone and you find that they are betraying you, Many, many times, this is the cause of death, violent murder. In fact, there are more murders on the basis of this than any other single reason. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Yayato Vishayan Pungsan, that uh, when one becomes attached to the objects of the senses, lust arises. And from lust, attachment. And from such attachment and lust, when it, when it is unfulfilled, or when there is a form of betrayal, one becomes angry. And that anger is such a powerful force of maya that it causes us to lose our intelligence, to become bewildered in memory, and to engage in abominable activities we would never have even considered. And yet, we are chasing after this illusion in this world that if I only have this facility, I will be happy. Huh? There's no end to how many facilities you need to be happy in this world. There's no end. Therefore, the great sages, they give up. They utterly give up trying to be happy in this world because they know there's no chance. They look for their happiness in Krishna. They look for their happiness not in sense enjoyment, but in service. When Krishna is happy, I am happy. By watering the root of the tree, all the leaves, all the branches, every part is satisfied. Krishna is the root. Aham saravasya prabhavo saravam pravartate. So therefore a devotee has this full conviction. And reading these pages of the Srimad Bhagavatam gives us such rich understanding. You can just see through so clearly the illusion of this world. Nunam pramata kurute vikaramayad indriya pritiya apranoti. 
in this world, people have become mad. They're insane. They're utterly crazy after sense enjoyment. Makes no sense. They're blinded by illusion. Just look. Within this city, all around us, people are immersed in the grossest illusion either in the mode of goodness, passion, or ignorance. For a devotee, it makes very little difference. It's all madness. It's all insanity. Under the spell of the bodily concept of life, people are working so hard, like asses foaming at the mouth. Even if they want to take to Krishna consciousness, they just don't have time. Why? trying to make some arrangement parents are in total anxiety trying to get their children married thinking once I get them married then I will be peaceful then I will be happy such an illusion what happens after marriage the anxiety continues usually it's worse And the children are thinking, only after I get out of school, and then I can be on my own, then I'll be happy. When they get out of school and they enter into the rat race, and in Bombay, factually, the rats are winning the rat race. You work hard, they don't do anything, they just eat, come in your house and eat your food. You build a beautiful house and everything. They don't do anything. They just come in and live and cause you anxiety and misery. But anyway, person finally enters into the rat race and then he understands, this is really miserable. Only when I become successful, affluent, rich, then I'll be happy. Until then, let me foam the mouth like an ass. Huh? They spend their whole life. And the richer they become, the more people become envious of them. The more their whole family, because they have so much sense enjoyment and such an easy life of riches, the more they become corrupt, lazy, and sinful. Hmm? All the hopes for prosperity and happiness. The more we, the more we strive for it, we're pulling on a rope. We're pulling harder and harder and harder, trying to, trying to get what we want. But we don't know that that rope is nothing but a noose around our own neck. We're choking ourselves by our own endeavors. And the ultimate goal that we are looking for in this world, in material enjoyment, cannot even compare to what has been attained by these great demigods. And they're even in complete anxiety. From time to time, reversals come, unavoidable. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is to be hospity, to face all the other demigods, and they all know, uh-huh, your wife likes someone else better. And Soma, he loves this woman, but he can't have her. In this way, they're both suffering. And the poor child, 
He's totally bewildered. He's coming out of the womb. He doesn't even, he's, he's chastising his own mother, unchaste woman. Can you imagine how miserable she is? She has to live with someone who thinks she's an unchaste prostitute. She's not allowed to live with someone she likes. And her own son has no respect for her dignity. In this story, everyone is suffering. Everyone is in complete devastation, mentally. And even Lord Brahma, he has to see his own children and grandchildren behaving in such a way. Brothers fighting amongst each other. Huh? This goes on even in the highest circles, what to speak of here. Whatever arrangement you make, they're going to come, you're going to suffer. Therefore, Prahlad said, if you want to be happy, stop looking for any happiness in this world. Because the happiness in this world, if you try to enjoy it, what you're doing is drinking poison. Narottam Das Thakur has sung in this way, that in trying to enjoy this material life, I have simply drunk poison. All the great acharyas compare material sense enjoyment to poison. And it is poison. Tastes like nectar in the beginning, but it creates great sorrow and suffering in the end. So here, this child, hmm. First, the woman is the object of the battle. They both want the woman, and Brahma comes and settles everything. And then it's all sorted out that the woman belongs to Brihaspati, and the fight is over. And Brihaspati is ordering, deliver this child immediately. Demigods are so great. A woman in this world, how uncomfortable it is for nine months to have to sit and wait for this child. It's terrible. Have you ever seen a woman when she's pregnant? If you haven't, don't, don't try to look for one because they become crazy. They become full of so much anxiety. Huh? Saru, is that true? Alters. How does it alter? Give, a, give an analytical explanation. See, he has five children. He has five children from one wife. Now, in the West, that's quite an accomplishment. Huh? everything ever just right? <laughs> so, so what does that, where does that leave you? The edge of what? The edge of what?
uncomfortable. That's a very diplomatic word, saying you suffer. (laughs) Anyways, you see the demigods, they have this benediction. They're so mystically powerful. Vihaspati tells the woman, she's just pregnant, deliver it immediately. Said that to a woman here, she'd have you know, would come out some crazy little half-grown, half-baked being creature, huh? But she just delivered it immediately. It was beautiful, beautiful, effulgent little demp god, huh? a little devata, the golden complexion, lotus eyes, very beautiful. And when they saw the beauty of such a wonderful child. Brihaspati is thinking, this is my child. This is coming from the womb of my wife. And Soma was thinking, well, who do you think put that child in the womb of your wife? He's mine. So in this way, another battle. Again, they started fighting. You see, this sense of false proprietorship on all levels is, is a great, great cause of battle. In this world, how many wars are fighting over what is mine. And everyone has their reasons. Everyone has their convictions. It's like this battle in Kuwait. You saw what a, it was almost World War III. Hundreds and thousands of people killed. Billions of dollars being spent practically every day on this war. Over what? Iraq is saying Kuwait is really ours. And Kuwait is saying, no, it's ours. And Iraq had its justification. Some years ago, this was our country, and foreign powers divided it up. They had no right to. So Kuwait is ours, we've always known it, and we still know it, and we'll always know it. So we're just going to take what we deserve. And Kuwait is saying, no, 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 no. We have our own establishment. We have our own sense of gratification. We have our own power and dignity. You have no right to touch. They have their excuse. Everyone has their justification. When Hitler decided to start killing people, these people, the gypsies, the Jews, they're just a disturbance, they're low-class people, they're destroying the world. We're the Aryans, we're the real heirs to the whole planet, so we should conquer. These, 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 these untouchable people have, have usurped what belongs to us. And they were convinced of this. It wasn't just some imagination, they were convinced. They were willing to give their lives to this conviction. Huh? Is this correct, Tarun? Tarun, you are you are his, our historical analyst. Is this correct? Something like that. Uh, so, like that, all wars. When Aurangzeb, Babri, when they came into India, they didn't just think that they were cruel dictators destroying innocent people. They had their justification. They were thinking Allah is God, and He's the only God, and all other gods are false, and Allah is the proprietor of everything. And these people have usurped Allah's property because they are not believing in him. So therefore, it's a sin for them to, to have anything. If the whole world does not become Muslim and come under our dictatorship, then it is an injustice and a crime to God. So therefore, we must destroy, conquer, and take everything for our sense enjoyment in the name of Allah. Huh? In this way, everybody has their justification, and everyone is fighting. Pakistan, India, 
what are these wars over? Some track of land, we want Punjab, we want Kashmir, it's ours, no, it's ours. And they're struggling, fighting, battling, and they all have so much justification. And all their people are convinced, everyone in Pakistan is convinced that this track of land should be ours. And everyone in India is convinced it's ours. And they're fighting, struggling. Tibet, China. The Tibetans are just living in their land for so many thousands of years and all of a sudden the Chinese march in and say, this land is ours. It's never been yours. It's always been ours. We're just reclaiming from the criminals who have taken, usurped it. The Tibetan people are saying, no, no, it's ours. Kicked out. Huh? All over the world. What to speak of America? The American Indians, the Red Indians, they were living for thousands of years. They had their farms, they had their homes, they had their civilizations, they had their religion. They were living peacefully. Well, sometimes they had some clashes amongst one another over what belong, what land is their territory, but it was basically peaceful. Then all of a sudden, these people who they never seen, they never heard of before, these white-skinned people from European countries, they just come on a boat and they take a flag and say, this now belongs to Spain. And somebody else came on a boat and said, this belongs to England. <clears throat> and the poor Indians, they're, what do you mean, England, Spain? These places have nothing to do with where we are. They called it Turtle Island. Actually, America is not the real name, it's Turtle Island. was the name the Indians had used for thousands of years. And they just came, said to the Indians, this is our property, get off. They kicked them out, killed them, slaughtered them, killed their children, killed their women, killed their people. They just put them against the wall. And in the end, out of their great mercy and compassion, they found the absolutely worst deserted places where nothing grows, where no one wants to be, and say, we will give you this little tract of land to live in utter poverty. We are so kind and merciful to you. It is a gift of the U.S. government. Hmm? And then when the U.S. government wants to test bombs, where do they do it? Where the Indians live, of course, because we don't want to hurt any of our own people because our own people are they're real people. These people are not real people, they're something else. So you see, throughout history, there has been this great conflict, and it's all over one thing. Who is the proprietor? All conflict, practically, is over who is the proprietor. Even the conflict of, of the battle of egos. I am the proprietor of this dignified position. Don't try to infringe on it. Don't try to gain influence beyond mine. Uh, it's like cats and dogs. You see on the streets, especially when you go to the smaller villages in India, even Brindavan, when you go to a certain area, a dog starts going, ruff, 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 ruff. <laughs> and you just, you, just trying to find some peace. 
Bridgetham. You're getting away from the city, which is all dogs and cats barking at each other all over the place, horns honking, people running around everywhere, pollution. You go to a holy place and you think, ah, Vrindavan. And then you go Seva Kunj, a beautiful place. You get in the area. This is the groves where Radha and Krishna have their divine leela. Let me just just go and enjoy. You get just to the just close to the doorstep. <coughs> what is it? He's saying, This is my Seva Kunj. Get away. This is my area. And the dogs are barking amongst each other, fighting over who's the proprietor. Who's the predominating deity of that section of Vrindavan? Huh? And even a human being, especially at night, my God, you become attacked. You have to walk with sticks and rocks just to save your life. All this sense of proprietorship. This is my domain. This is my jurisdiction. This is, this is all dog mentality. And when human being comes to the platform of being in the bodily concept, they become like dogs. Rishabdev says, Naham ah, Nayam deho deha bajam niloke kastan kamanar hati vid pujumjay. Tapodivyam putra kayena sarvam sudyajasim brahma sokyam tunantam. that one takes the human form of life and is still interested in enjoying the senses, he becomes like a dog or a hog that eats stool, simply fighting over proprietorship. What is mine? My position, my place, my land. And if you analyze, all the conflict in the world is over this. People are fighting over what they claim to be theirs with all justifications. Even the Mafia, they divide cities up amongst themselves. Huh? This is our section where we will have our prostitution and drug dealings and this is your section and don't cross this line and we will kill you if you come into our section. They think that they're the proprietors of the city. And they'll kill people if they don't surrender to them. It's like in Chicago in the 40s and the 30s. They used to sell insurance to every store, in every house. What is the insurance? Some big, big man would come to your house or your store and say, you pay us $100 a month or we're going to blow your place up. We're selling you an insurance policy. And if you don't pay us $100 a month, 100% guarantee your house is going to blow up. We don't know who's going to do it, but it's going to blow up. But we're so kind and merciful that if you just give us just a mere hundred dollars, we will make sure no one blows it up. Oh, thank you very much. You are very kind. And they do. They blow it up if you don't pay. They are actually convinced and justified in their own minds that they are the proprietors of everything. And even to the extent of the demigods, who is the proprietor of this woman? That is the battle. Who is the owner? Who is the controller? Krishna says, Bhoktaram Jagatapasam Saravaloka Maheshwaram Suradam Saravabhutanam Gyatvamam Shanti Mishtiti. Peace can only be attained when you understand I am the proprietor of everything. 
Everything and everyone is meant for my enjoyment. I am the well-wishing friend of all living beings. Only then can there be peace. Krishna consciousness means to surpass the illusions of aspiring for anything except being the humble servant of the servant of the servant. That is the only state of peace. Everything else is a grand illusion, from the highest planet to the lowest. Krishna says, from the highest planet to the lowest, they're all places of misery. Why? Because everywhere, everyone is thinking, I am the proprietor, I am the enjoyer, and due to this illusion, they are frustrated. They have to suffer. But whatever your situation, whether you're in Brahma-loka or Patala-loka, if you simply understand and accept the principle that Krishna is the proprietor and joyer of everything and everyone, I am his humble servant. I am the servant of his servant. And if you accept this principle that I am the humble servant of the servant of the servant, you never have to suffer. Never. Because whatever comes in your path, good or bad, you accept it as what you deserve. You're not choosy what the master gives you. Krishna is your master, you're the servant, and you know everything is coming from him. From him everything emanates. This is the first principle of Vedanta Sutra, which is the summary of all Vedas. That everything is emanating from Krishna. That means the good, the bad, Whatever comes your way is coming from Krishna only. Huh? Therefore, we're grateful. He's our master. We're the servant. We have no right to complain. I want this instead, my master. Oh, yes, this is what is good for me. I accept. This is what it means to be the humble servant of the servant. Then we can be peaceful because then we can always remember Krishna. And in that Krishna, we, in remembering Krishna, gradually we will find love, Krishna's love. That is the source of all bliss, the source of all satisfaction. So we should aspire for that only. Not even for a second should we let our mind deviate to aspire for anything else except service, humble service to the Lord. If anything else crosses our mind to aspire for anything, we should understand that this is an illusion, this is bondage. This is Maya. My only aspiration is to be the servant of the servant of the servant. Is there any questions? Hmm. As you have said that there is, there is no peace in this world. Only unless one can be pleased, then that position of a peace. You can't get peace. You have to hear regularly with an attentive mind, an attentive heart. Through hearing in the association of devotees, faith grows. That conviction is not an easy thing. 100% conviction means you're a pure devotee. Hmm? It is not cheap. That, that conviction, that faith, is something that has to be cultivated and developed through the practice of bhakti. Hmm? 
what you're saying really is, I'm not a pure devotee. How can I go on if I'm not a pure devotee? 100% conviction is pure devotion. That is something that you have to, by the mercy of the Lord, you have to come to that level by engaging in devotional service, which begins by hearing in the association of devotees chanting His holy name. Hmm? Yes. Can you speak louder, please? There is, there, is, there is an immediate cause and there is the cause of all causes. The immediate cause may be someone's envy. They may not have any understanding of how Krishna has anything to do with it. They may even be atheists. They are simply harassing you due to pride or greed or fear. Huh? But, Ishwara Sarava Bhutanam Krishna is in their hearts. And nothing could happen without his sanction, especially to a devotee. Therefore, the immediate cause may be an envious or fearful person. But the cause behind that cause, the cause of all causes, is Krishna. So you see, when dealing in this world, we may have to sometimes fight and battle against the immediate cause. But in our hearts, we surrender to the cause of all causes. Just like Arjuna, the immediate cause was Duryodhana was, Duryodhana was a rascal. He had to fight against Duryodhana to protect Dharma on earth. But ultimately he understood that Krishna is the cause of all causes and whatever, he, whatever, whatever the outcome is, is what is best. Hmm? My service to him is simply to fight for dharma. But it is all his arrangement. It's not that he wants the demons to act enviously. Krishna doesn't like that. It's not his plan, but he allows it to take place. And if he allows them to come and interfere with our life, then ultimately he has a plan for us. That is why it is said in the Bible that God uses the wrath of man to ultimately glorify him. Huh? So internally, in our hearts, we must simply see it as Krishna's mercy and welcome but externally we have to act according to our duty. So we may have to fight the immediate cause, but we surrender to the cause of that cause. Hmm? That is what the Bhagavad Gita teaches. That's the very sum and substance of Bhagavad Gita. That to do your duty for Krishna, you may have to fight. You may have to work very hard to counteract the immediate cause. But in your heart, 
you should simply surrender gratefully to the cause of that cause, to the cause of all causes, and accept whatever ultimately he wishes. You have a right to fight, Krishna said. It is your duty to fight, but you have no right to be attached to the result. The result is my business. Huh? And factually, there's only one result that we're looking for, that we have tried our best in his service. That is the perfection. The perfection of Arjuna, his service, was not to win the war. The perfection of his service was simply to do his best to do what Krishna wanted. If he lost doing the best for Krishna, he would have been totally victorious. Huh? We simply try our best to surrender to his will. When we go out to collect money, the, re the, the goal is not to collect a amount of money. The goal is simply to try your best. Before you go, you can give little test. questions. Copen. <laughs> this is my Copen. No, it is my Copen. No, my Copen. <laughs> Finally, I took off my own Copen and said, here, just... Better to have no Copens than to fight over Copens. What? Go on, I'm sorry. Dogs fight over bones. Brahmacharis fight over copings. Politicians fight over countries. Everyone's fighting over some property. I'm sorry, go on. very symbolic because everything is Krishna's abode. So anyone who claims proprietorship over what belongs to Krishna is like this dog. He's claiming proprietorship over Vrindavan, which is Radha and Krishna's abode, but he's thinking, this is mine, stay away, you have no right to come. <laughs>